Let's get into the Word. If you've got a Bible, turn me or scroll with me to Matthew chapter 7. Um, if you're a guest here this morning, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. Um, we are on the tail end of a series we've been in for months and months and months uh, called The Standard, looking at the greatest message ever preached, which was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we've gone through Matthew 5, we've gone through Matthew 6, and today we're jumping into Matthew chapter 7. And uh, I just think it's important that we... We get truth and we get life from the horse's mouth itself, so to speak. And um, I kind of think, I wasn't going to talk on this, but maybe I will. I don't know. I kind of feel like absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've heard that phrase, right? That, that when we have ultimate power, that just corrupts us ultimately. And we, as people, can do things that are not in the best interest of others and usually in the best interest of ourselves. And, and knowledge is one of those things. Information is one of those things that, that gives us power. The more we know, the more we can do, the more we can manipulate things to our own end if we want to. And I th- was just talking this week just in passing with someone about the Protestant Reformation with um, Martin Luther. And at that stage in history, the, the, the Catholic Church was all-powerful um, because they, they had knowledge of the Scriptures, what it said, how it worked, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The lay person, the average person, did not have access to God's written word, so had to then just trust that what the church was saying was truth. And so, so, so one little misdirection after one misdirection leads to a, a massive misdirection. And so what ended up happening in, in, the, in the Protestant Reformation, the, the, there was a protest to, for reform, and that's where we get the word Protestant, Protestant, to reform against the institution because they had absolute power. And so the average person was just left to believe whatever they were told to believe by the government, by the church, because they didn't have access information. They couldn't, you know, Wikipedia search what was being said from the pulpit on a Sunday to see if it was truth or not. They had to take for granted and, and for uh, just trust that that was what was being the case until Martin Luther, a very educated man, came on the scene and was like, you know what, I can read the scriptures in their original context and that's not what it's about. It's about grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. It's not through the practice or ritual of church. It's not through the, 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 the sacrificing of my life to a priest. It's not through giving my money to buy my, sin, my forgiveness of my sins. It's through faith alone in Christ alone. And so you might be thinking, what's this got to do with anything? Well, I think we're kind of, we're in a similar situation now, but on the other side of things. Well, we, ha- we have all the knowledge, we have all the information at our fingertips. And it's corrupting us because all knowledge and all authority and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we now have access to all the information. And so what's that left us with? We, we read articles, we, we, we listen to people speak, we watch YouTube clips, we, uh, we have access to all this stuff that has built us up and puffed us up with knowledge and information, but it's left us powerless and impotent because we have actually been corrupted by an overwhelming sense of info and stuff. And so the average person is like, what do I even believe now? About faith, about life, about gender, about um, sexuality, about politics, about COVID, about whatever. We are in, in, in a day and age where this absolute power of knowledge is corrupting us absolutely. And that's why we need to return back to the Word of God. And see what it says. And turn away from 
the, the, the wickedness of our own heart, if you like, or the overwhelming um, sense of, of pride that comes with, with all this information and this confusion as well. Okay, God, what do you say? Do we put our faith in what Google says or are we going to put our faith in what Jesus says? And I guarantee you, they will both take you on different paths in your life. And so this, this, this series, the standard is, is getting our eyes off the things of this world and putting it onto the heart of Jesus and realigning our life to his standard, his way of doing things. And so <clears throat> I want to talk this morning in chapter 7 on, on a topic that, that is rarely addressed in church. I don't think I've ever spoken on this before. I've rarely heard messages on this, but um, this is the beauty of expositional preaching is that we, uh, we have to face the text. We can't just jump over it and go, that's in the too hard basket. We've got to confront these things and go, okay, well, what does it mean? So let's read Matthew chapter 7 and all get convicted together. It'd be wonderful. <laughs> Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, take me to, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's take a deep breath. And we'll pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and living. Thank you, Lord, that you would just illuminate the truth of heaven through the scriptures this morning that would unlock us to a higher way of living, a way of living according to your standard, not our standard or the world's standards, Lord God, that would ultimately result in a transformation to impact the lives of those around us. We thank you would bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so problems arise with this particular passage because we um, probably have a different understanding or a uh, definition of what is meant by the term judge here. Um, and that can result in how we outwork this particular passage depending on how we view that word, how we understand it, how we interpret that particular definition of the word judge. Um, if Jesus says don't judge, that doesn't mean that we then just allow everything to happen before our eyes and we just sit back going, well, you do whatever you want because I'm told not to judge. No, no, that doesn't mean we're not called to discern. There is a difference. So we absolutely are called to discern. How else then, in verse 6, don't give to dogs what is holy, don't throw to pearls before pigs. How else do we know what is holy, what is a dog, what is a pearl, and what is a pig if we don't discern by some sort of standard of measurement, what those things are to order, in order to live according to God's way of living. So we've got to be just a bit realistic about this as well, that when it says judge, it's not saying just sit back and just hold your tongue and don't have an opinion. It's, it's, it's saying be discerning. Ultimately, what it means is don't be a critic and don't be cynical. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be overly critical and don't be overly cynical. See, remember Jesus' frustration in his ministry life was um, mainly pointed towards the Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees? They, they were the, the religious bigwigs. 
They, they were the guys who were dogmatic about their religion. Um, everything was black and white, right and wrong. And they would look down their nose at anybody who was less than them or didn't me- measure up to their standards. And so they would, they would put this, this weight of religion on people's shoulders that was too much to bear. And so the, the bulk of Jesus' rebuke in his teaching was to these Pharisees, these, these holier-than-thou religious folk that tried to make the average person feel less than. So that's the context that we see with Jesus' teaching is about this, this anti-Pharisee thing. So what we, can, what we can see here is that essentially when Jesus is talking about not judging, he's saying to us, hey, be careful not to develop a Pharisee spirit. Watch yourself. Check your heart and beware not to develop a Pharisee spirit. So, what does a Pharisee spirit look like? Well, it looks for faults in others and then finds joy when it finds those faults. That's what the Pharisee spirit does. It's like looking around, beep, 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 beep. Yes, Hannah, find fault with her. She's wrong. Bang! I automatically feel joy because I've found her fault because I'm a Pharisee, and I, I look down my nose at anybody who's less than. What else does the, the Pharisee spirit do? It feels superior by making others feel inferior. So when someone is not measuring up, then we feel better about ourselves because we are constantly comparing. Our, that's the problem with comparison. As soon as we compare, someone's a loser, someone's a winner. And if you're a Pharisee, you're always the winner, and everyone else is always a loser. So Jesus is saying, keep your heart clear of that sort of stuff. Pharisee spirits tend to be um, hypocritical. Um, they delight in criticism. So this, this is the category of, if you've ever been on social media um, and you've looked through the comment section and you've got, the, they're called keyboard warriors. Um, these guys, that get in there and they put all this nasty poison in the comments. It's like they let the, the angels of hell flow through their fingertips to write just nasty, vitriolic rubbish on internet websites and posts. And half the stuff they probably don't believe, they're just trying to be provocative and, and create a rise. But it's just, it's, that's how cyberbullying works. And it's just like these people that are just so cynical and so nasty, they're just keyboard warriors hiding behind the mask of a screen and putting out poison and opinion. Or couch coaches. Do you know what a couch coach is? There, there's a meme going around, you might have seen it, of a, 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 an overweight guy in his 40s, uh, no shirt on, all just hanging out, and he's got like a tub of ice cream, he's eating it, and up the top it's like, this is me watching Australian Ninja Warrior, down the bottom, I would have made that jump. It's like, that's, that's a couch coach. It's like watching the gymnastics, on the um, Olympics by the way, how good are the Olympics? Oh my gosh, I haven't slept in like four days, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> watching the gymnastics, I love gymnastics. But I find myself watching a routine, and I'm like, that's amazing. And then they, they, they stuff the landing. I'm like, oh, idiot. <laughs> Who am I? If they, only they had landed with their feet like this, and then they're just like, hmm, hmm. I was like, I've become a couch coach. As if I could do any different or any better. Is it crazy? No, I'm not going to demonstrate. I have too much pride. The Pharisee spirit has difficult, ha, finds difficulty in forgiving other people. Um, and here's why. It's because forgiveness cuts the power of criticism and pride. And that's the only swords they have. That's the only weapons they have. The Pharisee spirit, in one hand, holds pride, and the other hand holds criticism. And forgiveness just takes those swords out of their hands and drops them to the ground, 
And so they find it hard to forgive because then they become powerless. And so I, I remember just recently, or a little while ago now, somebody coming to me and saying, hey, listen, I feel really let down by you. I was like, I'm so sorry, I had, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, this went on and, and I feel like you didn't even care. I was like, I am so sorry that, that you feel that way. That's not my heart. I would never want to hurt you or upset you. And then the apology that I gave was met with, oh, and also, uh, da, 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 da. I was like, well, I wasn't aware of that either. I'm, honestly, I'm so sorry about that. And then that apology was met with, oh, yeah, and also, bang, 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 bang. I said, look, I just want to apologize for everything I've ever done or haven't done of all times throughout all of history because I want to restore this relationship with you and I want to live with this, this disconnect of you upset with me and me. And the end of the day, resulted with, the result was, well, it is what it is. You are who you are. I don't need a million apologies. It's like, oh, it's like this, this critical spirit of like, just put down your swords. Let's restore relationship. Let's restore friendship. Let's get, bring healing. But the Pharisee spirit won't do that because the bottom line is at, at the heart of the Pharisee spirit is self-righteousness. At the very core is self-righteousness. And if you've read the Bible, if you've been in church for a while, you realize that judging is God's role, right? Like, like judgment the position of judge is a position, position that's already been filled. God's got that role taken. Sorry, position's filled. He alone is supremely righteous, and therefore, he alone can judge supremely righteously. See, the self-righteous person judges other, others according to their own self-righteous standards. And if we judge people self-righteously, then we break the first commandment, which is to have no other gods other than me. Because we become God ourselves by enthroning ourselves on the place of judgment, a place reserved for God himself. And that's a dangerous place to be. God is the judge. He judges righteously because he himself is righteous. So if you parallel these things, if you parallel God and you parallel the Pharisee spirit, you will see that, that, that God is supremely righteous. The, the Pharisee spirit is self-righteous. You'll see that, that God embodies the standard because God is the standard. But you'll find that the Pharisee spirit will hold others to a standard that they themselves do not necessarily embody. In theory, but not necessarily in reality. And over here, you've got God that loves others and you've got the Pharisee spirit, which is critical of others. And so it's important to understand the difference between the two. So what is the remedy? What, what, what hope do we have if I find myself developing or have developed a Pharisee spirit? What is the hope? What is the remedy? What do I do? Well, the key here that we see in Matthew 7 is self-reflection, self-assessment. Deal with the log in your own eye before you look at the speck in somebody else's eye. And that takes honesty, that takes um, humility to do these things. And I think if, if we're honest, that's really tough. It's really tough to address our own issues because it's so easy just to point out other people's faults. And the reason I think it's easy to point out other people's faults is because the NIV would talk about the speck in somebody else's eye, it uses the word sawdust, speck of sawdust. So the reason we find fault in other people so easy to identify is because their fault is made of the same stuff of the log that's in our own eye. So we relate to it. 
So if, if I'm seeing something in somebody's life of, of pride and I point that out in them all the time, chances are it's because I've got a log of pride in my own heart, in my own eye. Because we're looking at the sawdust which comes from the same bit of timber of the thing that's blocking our vision in the first place. So we've got to work on dealing with our stuff first. And that's the problem with the Pharisees. They saw everybody else's faults but refused to acknowledge and accept their own. And that's why Jesus is pushing back on that. So what do the scriptures say? Um, let's do a little Bible study around um, the Pharisee spirit, around judging, around criticism, around cynicism, um, about being self-righteous. Well, John 8, verse 1 to 8, we shared this a few weeks ago. Uh, you who without sin cast the first stone. Okay, so that's pretty clear. Uh, James 4, 1 to 2, oh, sorry, 11 to 12. Do not slander or judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge. That position's been filled. Romans 2, 1 to 3. Do not pass judgment. Don't be hypocritical. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. This is sobering. We will all appear before the judgment seat of heaven. And you will not stand before God, the judge, to be held account for somebody else's stuff. We will all stand before God to be held account for our own stuff. John 3.17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So if we're out there judging and being cynical and condemning people, we're working in the exact opposite spirit that Jesus came in the first place. He didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world through him. And we're, we're, we're condemning people through our standards rather than leading them to Christ so that they can be saved through him. Let God the judge take care of their stuff. Um, Luke 6.37, don't judge or condemn, but forgive. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Like, how's that for a mission statement? Like just in, in life in general, whatever you do tomorrow, when you get up and you go to work, when you go to school, when you dealing with a crazy, psychotic four-year-old that just has tantrums all the time. Hypothetically speaking, of course, if that was the case for some of you. How do you, how do you manage that for the glory of God? So, so how, how do we bring glory to God when we're judging God's people and throwing criticism, throwing cynicism? How, how does that bring glory to God if we are breaking the bones in the body of Christ when we're called to build the body of Christ. And I, you know, I'm not going to go there. There is a role. That role is called the accuser of the brethren. That also is a position that's been filled. There's a role of judge. That position has been filled. There's another role called the accuser of the brethren. Unfortunately, that position's been filled as well. It's by the devil, in case you were wondering where I was going with that. That's, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. Yep. Just to make sure that landed, because I wasn't sure. It's better to be clear. Here's the thought that's been rolling around my head for a while. Um, is, is the heart of the church is the heart of C3 Coffs Harbour to be a hospital for the hurting or is it to be a resort for the righteous? Yeah. 
Now, I would argue that we believe the former. Of course, it's a, it's a hospital for the hurting. But we behave like the latter. Our behavior, our mentality, our approach to church would probably indicate, if we were looking from the outside in, that we treat God's house like a resort for the righteous where we come to get our needs met, have a tingle down our spine, hear a message that makes us feel good, and then go out. Maybe it may be affected, maybe not, I don't know. But we're, just enjoy, we're here for our enjoyment. We're here for our pleasure. But the irony is, worship is not about our pleasure. It's about His pleasure. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. There's, there's three main things that, that life is all about. It's about bringing glory to God. As a Christian, first and foremost, do everything, 1 Corinthians says, to the glory of God. So we worship here, we gather here on a Sunday for the glory of God. First and foremost. So when people say, ah, oh, I didn't get much out of worship, you're not supposed to. That's not the point. The question is, did God get much out of your worship? And of course the band's going to make mistakes from time to time. Their job is just to lead us. Our job is to follow. And the presence of God and the glory of God is our goal, our destination. That's the first part of church. Second part of church is for the good of other people. It's why we serve. We don't come to be served. We're ambassadors of Christ. He did not come to the world to be served, but to serve and give his life up for instance for many. And we're called to, am- to amplify that and to-, to resemble that. So we don't come just to be served. It's for the good of others, the church. And ultimately, the third thing is for our joy. That when we get those things in their rightful place, then we are engrafted into the body of Christ and then joy flows to us. We find fulfillment in giving glory to God. We find fulfillment in giving to other people and then God blesses us as a result. But the problem is, we, we look for the blessing first. God, just give me what I need. God, I just, I just need more of you. I want that thing or the thing. And then if I get that, then I'll have enough to help other people. And then everyone will see how good you are because of what I have and I've given to other people. And then you get the glory. God's like, no, 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 no. That's a works-based religious mentality that's completely the opposite of how the kingdom of God works. If you want to find your life, lose it first. Take up your cross and follow me daily. It's about me first, others second, you third. That's the life of the Christian. So the heart of the church has to be a hospital for the hopeless, a hospital for the hurting. It's not a resort for the righteous. Because if it's a hospital for the hurting then we serve and care for other people. But if it's a resort for the righteous, we get served and are critical of other people. Nah, they're not measure up. They're not, nah, nah. And if, if this place is a hospital, guess what? It's going to get messy. People are going to come with their brokenness. They're going to come with their stuff. They're going to come with their sin. They're going to come with relationship messes, financial messes, health messes. They're not going to come living to the standard that we would think they should live at. And that's okay. Because it's not our job to clean that up. That's God's job. It's our job to be the nurses and the doctors to provide triage and care so that God can come through and bring the ultimate healing, the ultimate freedom, the ultimate salvation. Here's an ironic thing. The main issue non-believers have with the church is that we are judgmental and self-righteous. The very thing Jesus here is addressing is the very reason that a lot of people are turned off 
church. And it's weird because we judge them in order to try and reach them, but we don't reach them because we're judging them. Oh, their lives are messed, they're broken, yeah, I'll tell them how broken their life, I'll tell them how messy they are, and, and then they'll come to church. They just feel deflated and small and insignificant like they don't measure up. Why would they want to come to this place if we all look like self-righteous judges? Why, why do we try to hold non-believers to the same standard as believers? We expect non-believers to live a life worthy of the call of the gospel, but they haven't even received the gospel yet. It's like we're expecting people to run a 100-meter sprint in 10 seconds, but they've, they've never learned how to walk. And this is when we see in, in verse 6, Jesus says, Don't give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample it underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, is Jesus saying that non-Christians, non-believers are pigs and dogs? No. It's hyperbole. It's an over-exaggeration to prove a point or a principle. Every single person, no matter what they believe, is precious in the eyes of God, has intricate value in the eyes of God because every single human on the planet has a fingerprint of heaven on them and credit in God's image. The problem is we're born into a world that is sinful and corrupt and we need Jesus to set us free from the sin and death in this world to see the goodness of his grace and mercy to follow after him. So when he says, don't give to dogs what is holy, don't throw your pearls before pigs, he's not saying that people who don't believe are pigs or dogs. What he's saying is, it's just like the value of a precious pearl cannot be appreciated by a pig, it's the same way the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be appreciated by someone who hasn't met him yet. That's why the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't know the goodness of God. And it's our job to show them how good and beautiful and wonderful and kind and loving that God is so they can see him and enjoy the freedom that comes with that. Jesus is saying that Christians need to stop being critical and cynical of others. First and foremost, take care of the log that is in their own eye before they can call out the speck in somebody else's eye. We're called to love because Jesus came not to condemn but to save. So the role of judge is a position that's already been filled. The role of accuser of the brethren is also a position that has been filled. But the role of ambassador for Christ, there's infinity positions available. Can you start on Monday? Can you start on Monday? There's a position in the kingdom available, ambassador for Christ, sharing the good news to all mankind, the love, the heartbeat of heaven, that people would see the goodness of God on your life, not feel judged or condemned. That's God's job. But we just point them to the truth through love, through grace, through mercy. Can you start on Monday? I'm going to finish with two quotes. One's by Paul Tripp. He's a pastor in America, just incredible mind, incredible heart. He's a pastor of pastors. He's the type of guy that when a, when a mega church implodes and the pastor does dumb stuff, he comes in and cleans it all up and passes the pastor and helps. 
He says this, deeper than judgment, people need mercy. Judgment is superficial. Judgment is looking at the, at the symptoms. Judgment is looking at the outside. Mercy gets to the heart. Mercy loves the person. Mercy loves the soul. So the deeper than judgment, people need mercy. And you may have heard of this, this character. He goes by the name Billy Graham. Um, or at least he did. He says this, and I love this. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's our job to love. Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job to judge. But it's our job to love. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this, this message. I thank you for... I thank you ultimately for Jesus. God in flesh. In a world that's searching, seeking and desperate for truth. It's already found in you. Your word says that the word, the truth of all life became flesh and dwelt among us. So we don't need to look to the world. We don't need to look to the media. We don't need to look to Google to find truth, to find meaning, to find purpose, to find hope. We need to look to you, Jesus. And I thank you for this series that we can just step by step unpackage the truth of your word, the greatest message ever preached, this Sermon on the Mount that helps us tackle and wrestle with so many areas of life that we can sometimes overlook or don't even think about. And for this one in particular, God, I thank you for drawing our attention to judging others. Drawing our attention to beware of developing a, a Pharisee spirit that is critical and, and cynical of others. Would you help us keep a, a sweet spirit, an optimistic spirit, a faith-filled, grace-filled spirit that believes the best, that thinks the best, that chooses to love rather than to judge. Would you help us, Lord God, to, to self-reflect and self-assess, to be honest and be humble and search our own heart, our own life, and find the things, the logs in our own eye, the, the things that are holding us back, Lord God, our imperfections. Would you help us to deal with them, to seek help, to seek forgiveness, to seek Repentance, Lord God, for those things. And Lord, we're not going to be sitting back and just allowing anything to, to outplay in front of us. Of course, God, we know that you want us to be discerning. But I thank you our discernment will be fueled by love and not cynicism, by grace and not criticism. Our, 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 our discernment will be fueled with Optimism, not pessimism. Hope and not dread. Life and not shame. So that we can pick up the job description that you've given all of us, which is not to be the judge, 
which is not to be the accuser of the brethren, but is to be the ambassador for Christ, to represent the kingdom accurately and well. By giving glory to you in all that we do, by serving others and seeing the church as a hospital for the the hurting, that would ultimately result in our joy and our fulfillment. And so the cycle turns. Would you bless us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.